Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader of one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with the DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Baseball fans. (laughs) I don't know why I said it like that. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head out to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes and only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. You are now tuned in to the Windy City Benders Podcast. This is WCBP. All right, it's a very special edition of the WCB podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, we're uploading this early for a couple reasons. The main, most important reason, we had Chris fucking Versteeg on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Versteeg, baby. What? For beauty. Stegalicious. What? what a fucking interview. I like, love him. Oh my God. Like I know he was a great guy. You know, everybody knows he's a personality. He's got that swagger, you know, but actually sitting there talking to him, having a conversation for like almost like 45 minutes or I think that was. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Oh, great stories. There was so much more we wanted to ask. I really think we are going to get a second episode with him. Um, But so the other reason we're posting this a little bit early is today marks. Um, the birthday of the WCB podcast. The show turns four years old today. Look um, at that. Yeah, it's been, yeah, four years old, and we only have 133 episodes. <laughs> the math doesn't check out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, so it's been a crazy, awesome journey with this whole thing, you know, um, starting in Noli's basement, uh, using one mic, sharing it, passing it around to interviewing Stanley Cup champions, Hockey Hall of Famers, st- stars of Letter Kenny, comedian uh, Earl Skakel, Kendall Coyne, all Steve this. Steve Dangle, like, baby. Steve Dangle, <laughs> uh, Frank from Hockey Illuminati. We cannot forget him. Ed Belfour. Yeah, I said Hockey <laughs> Hall of Famer. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. Just, I'm, I'm just in my own head. Just like, Dude, we're well, so amped I'll from this interview. <laughs> yeah, we literally just stopped. He got off, and we're doing this intro really quick. Um, but, yeah. All this would not be possible if it wasn't for the listeners um, joining the Hockey Podcast Network. I know we're early on in that, but none of that would have been possible if, you know, we didn't have the backing from you guys and the support. And we're thank you for that. And we are hoping that this is just the start of much more amazing content coming. Yeah. You know, it sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get more. Let's yeah. Do more. So, um, 
I was going to say real quick, I know uh, Hawks did play since last time we recorded, but we'll just talk about that on Sunday. It's not a good game. So. No, it wasn't a good game. <laughs> um, we'll talk about Andrew Shaw, too, on Sunday. Um, yeah. we just, oh, we didn't even get to ask for first yeah. thing about Shaw. Or any, yeah, we got to talk to him again. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to talk about. But, um, yeah, we'll talk about all that Sunday episode. We want to keep this episode strictly the Versteeg interview. Um, some great stories about um you know growing up playing the the 2010 cup season um 2015 um what he's up to now he's up to some really awesome stuff which we're gonna link the the link to uh all his website of this app that he's gonna be doing that's gonna help coaching um and players and all that kind of stuff um clever yeah clever with like k-l-e-v-r the the website is clever.ai um awesome stuff and then do a couple quick rapid fire questions. We can get an awesome story about uh, Phil the Thrill. So definitely uh, listen to this episode full through, and uh, we will see you guys on on Monday. Yeah, let's get to that. Uh, let's get that little Steger interview, huh? Perfect. All right. So today we are joined by a very special guest. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. Please welcome to the show, Christopher Steeg. Chris, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. You know, it's a long time coming. I we uh, our fans every time we post up, like, hey, who do you want to talk to this year, or who should we get on the show? You like blow everybody out of the water. It's insane. Really? Yeah. Oh, with it, are they waiting uh, to bring me on so they can just tear me down, or is it actually <laughs> they actually want to listen to what I have to say? I think no, just, it's all just diehard Hawks fans. So like, they love the Versteeg lifestyle. They just love the personality. <laughs> wow. I mean. Yeah, I, I clearly I know I'm not for everybody, but uh, I do know that I, I love Chicago and I, I love all the fans, even though a lot probably didn't like me at times, especially coming across the blue line. But regardless, um, man, I love them all. Seriously, they they made me who I am today. So very fortunate to have all the Hawks fans always in uh, in my corner or whoever decides to be whoever. But all the ones that do, it's it's been amazing. We'll, we'll always be in your corner. We got you, my guy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just to get started, uh, let's get started from the beginning, I guess. You know, how did how did you get started into hockey? I know, you, I mean, you grew up in Canada, so I'm just assuming classic Canadian child growing up playing hockey all the time. But uh, is there anything different about the way you grew up? No, there was nothing really different. I know my, my father kind of got me on skates, you know, maybe a couple times during the winter when I was three um, and then at four, maybe once every couple of weeks, uh, we would play a youth hockey. It's like a church hockey league. Uh, you'd maybe play once a month, maybe, sorry. And then uh, I did that up until I was six. And when I was six, I joined my first club team. Uh, and in Canada, I believe club starts at three now and in the States, um, in a lot of areas, it's three, four. So Jesus. it's a lot different now than it was then. Um, but realistically, I started playing my first games when I was six. Uh, and then, yeah, just stayed in Lethbridge, Alberta, where I grew up playing club hockey all the way until, well, actually I even played junior too. So got it. I was able to play in my hometown pretty long time. Did, um, so, you know, growing up, obviously anybody playing hockey, the dreams to play in the NHL. Um, did you have like one of those moments where you were like, oh man, this is more realistic than just a dream. Like, was there a certain time or like team that you were like, yep, this is, uh, this is what I'm going to do. Well, I mean, I, I, when I believed more, I could play in the NHL when up until I was about 13 than I did probably when I was 17. 
Because when you're 13, 12, it's almost like anything is possible. And then all of a sudden you get a little closer and you're like, oh boy, I, I don't know if that's even possible. Sorry, my, my alarm's going off for you guys. Oh, you're good, you're good. <laughs> um, what's going on here? <laughs> Sorry. So I'll keep going. I turned it completely off. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, it was like, man, I remember being like, eight, nine, 10, 11, thinking like, for sure I can play in the NHL, you know, it's just the, just a young cocky kid. And then when you get a little bit older, you're like, okay, I can play maybe. And then when you get in junior uh, and, and I mean, I wasn't the easiest person to contain as a, as a teenager. So I didn't really have the greatest junior career, but I was drafted. So kind of around that time, I didn't really think it was possible, but when, when I really started, started to think it was possible is when I was 19 turning 20, I got called up to play in the AHL played really well. And that summer I went to work for five months. I went from like 165 to 185. Um, I mean, I was running, you know, ex extremely fast compared to the year before I just trained and did everything I could. Um, so that's where I physically made a big hurdle. And then from 20 to 21, when I was with Rockford, I remember in that summer, I started to shift my mentality. I know uh, I worked with my trainer more on the mental side too. Uh, I, I tell the story a lot. I would hold my arm out. And when he'd say, do you believe you could play in the NHL? I would say, yeah, but my arm would fall down. So he would start to like rewire my brain to like subconsciously believe I could do it. So by the end of the summer, my arm was stiff as a board. I know it sounds like voodoo. Okay. But I really went to work when I was 20 to 21 on uh, the mental part of my game. And it, it's crazy. I, I remember even before that season, um, I, um, I was like, I'm physically ready. I'm physically better than a lot of guys, but now I'm mentally there. Uh, and, and I remember at the end of the summer before I left to Chicago, um, I said that I was going to win, you know, the rookie of the year, or I was going to be up for the rookie of the year. My fun, my friends all laughed at me. They're like, you're not even in the NHL really. Um, and it happened. So there was like about a two year shift in my mentality that it, it took to get me to the NHL. But uh, I would be lying to tell you if at 18, I was like, I'm going to play in the NHL because um, by then I didn't think really much was possible in hockey for me. So just thinking like mentality wise, I like I didn't realize how that how much that really kind of affects that kind of jump, really. Did you, like, have you seen any guys that pretty much had the skills physically, but just weren't there mentally that couldn't make that jump then I seen so many guys that mentally couldn't make the jump and, and the, when it comes to making the jump it's part luck um, you got to make your luck though it's good timing it's having a coach that likes you but it's when you get that small window you got to make it count because if you don't make it count then the next guy's coming up get a chance and then if you get traded you're you know you're with a new team but you're a little older and then unless you really tear it up there you're not going to get your chance so you really got to be super opportunistic um, if you're not a first or between probably a first rounder actually now, but if you're not a first round pick, you really got to be uh, ready to pounce on your opportunities uh, and, and have a little luck as well. Nice. Um, while you were uh, in Lethbridge on the WHL, you got to play with Seabrook for a few years there. Yeah. Did you know he was going to be the leader that he turned out to be? Like, was he already that when he was there? Or, or was it kind of like surprising, like how amazing he, how big he blew up in Chicago as well? Now, honestly, he was the one player I played with in junior where I was like, he's going to be an NHL player. We were, I was 16. 
I was like five, five, like 140, maybe 145 playing against grown men and junior. And back then guys were huge. Like now they pick any player back then. They wouldn't put you on the ice unless you're six feet and could run through a wall. Right. At like 16. So Seabrook was like six, two or three when he was 17. Um, he could shoot the puck like probably as hard as he could today at 17. He was just a physically big man and he was really good. So I, I remember when we were, you know, I was 16 and then 17 uh, playing with him. He would hit the one timer, you know, as hard as anybody. Uh, and he could really dictate the pace of the game with just how we played. And everyone knows how good of a first pass he made especially yeah. for that era. Right. So he, he was the one player I played with where I was like, he's a no brainer. Like he's going to play in the NHL. Um, I didn't know what his ceiling would be, but I think he even far surpassed the ceiling that a lot thought of him. Uh, he's had an unbelievable career and it's no shock to me though. Yeah, so, all right. So you talked about being drafted, you know, got picked up by Boston uh, in the fifth round and then you got dealt to Chicago what was your like perception of Chicago? Because, you know, when you made that transition over out here, they were nowhere near what they were when you guys were playing. Like this was pre Kane, pre Taves. Um, did you have any idea like, you know, there's the potential there or was it just one of those like, all right, well, another chance uh, to get some ice time and uh, improve my career. Yeah. Well, when I got traded to Chicago, I was pissed off because I was, <laughs> I was with Providence and, I was playing on a line with David Kretschy and we were lighting it up and I was 20 and I was like told I was probably going to get called up. And then Sean Donovan got hurt. And actually a couple of weeks prior, we were at a bar and, or we were having a couple of drinks in Norfolk and we we're playing the Hawks. Um, we we're playing the Hawks, like the, at the AHL team. And I remember looking at their lineup with all the first and second round draft picks. And I was sitting there with Matt Lashoff. I still remember where we were saying if there was one team in the minors I don't want to get traded to or a team in the NHL, it's Chicago. Like you would have no chance to make the Blackhawks. <laughs> um, and I, I vividly remember that conversation. And then two weeks later, we were on our way up. I thought I was getting called up to the NHL. They called me up to the front of the bus and they're like, no, you didn't get called up, but you got traded. So Jeez. I was like, I remember going back to my seat and I was kind of heartbroken. I was, I was for sure crying in my seat. <laughs> um, but cause I was like, I was like, man, like I just, I never thought I'd play in the NHL. And then, and then I was kind of going through a time in junior. And then I finally returned around my career, really worked hard at it. Thought I had an organization that wanted me and I was playing so good. I was playing some of my best, I played my best hockey ever at that point. And then I was just traded and I was like, it could literally happen like that. And then you got to go to a new team. And I had to start at the bottom again in Rockford or in Norfolk at the time. They put me yeah. on the fourth line uh, and I had to work up and I was playing on the first line basically all year. So it's almost like I had to start back at the bottom again, go through my lumps and work my way up. And uh, so that part sucked. And also it sucked because they had first and second rounders that were going to get a chance before me. So I didn't like that either. And I had better stats than them all. So I was I wasn't happy about that but I knew it was another hard ride I was going to have to go through in order to get to the NHL. And I was willing to do it. It just, I, I would be lying to tell you if I was really happy about it at the moment. And then when I got to Chicago, they were also the NHL team was, there was no fans in the stands. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's no one there. And I remember going to a bar in 2007 and I pulled out my NHL card 
and then you like go to the back of the line you know they didn't care about the blackhawks so it's uh jesus it's it's much different uh then or then than it was even a year later a year later 2008 it was like on steroids it was crazy the transition of the team but yeah personally when i first got there i didn't even know what chicago was like i swear to god i didn't even know what the city was um I still remember going there for camp my first time. It was in the summertime. We showed up in Chicago. I'm like, holy, Chicago's got like a lot of skyscrapers. Like they're a they're a big city. And my buddy, I remember his Bufflin actually. He's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like you had no idea that Chicago was like a big city at all. I knew it was big, but I didn't know how big it was. I just thought it was a big city. Like I didn't know anything about Chicago, like nothing. I grew okay. up in like Southern Alberta, um, basically, 40 minutes north of the Montana border. I like the biggest city I really went to was Calgary, you know, or Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you learn about Chicago and ge- like geography class, but realistically I didn't know anything. You know, I flew yeah. to Providence, played on the East coast. And that was really as far as away as I've been from home besides playing for team Canada, at Belarus, but it was realistically the first time I ever lived away that far away from home in a, in a new country. So Chicago, I, I just remember being down, you know, downtown the first time. It, it, I mean, Buff still laughs about it to this day. <laughs> Man, after uh, – that's that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, like, 09 season, like, heading into 2010 when that Stanley Cup season, did you guys, like, kind of know it was, like, copper bust that year? Oh, 100%. I remember me and Sharp were sitting in the – in the uh it was the old room because i think they revamped the new room and it's Mm. where all the players would sit on the lounge and we lost the first cup we well i think we're one and two against nashville in 2010 and i remember we're just sitting in that room and we're like if if we don't lose we're all gone or if we lose we're all gone right or most of us are gone and it's it's cup or bust so we knew the pressure and that's why i think that first round especially against nashville was so hard because they were a really good team they weren't close to our level at all. But what happened was, is I think we were really feeling the pressure of this is a cup or bust. And, and that's why that round was so hard. I believe they were a good team, but again, they weren't close to what we were. Yeah. Was that, uh, so that, that Hosa goal, cause you're talking about that series, that yeah. time goal, was that right there? The defining moment? Like, yep, this is us. This is our cup. Yeah. A hundred percent. That came the Kane goal before that. Yeah. And then Hosa comes out. That's like, I remember that was probably as crazy as I went close to winning. Like when we won in Philly, like I never felt that happy. I think in my life after a game, it was almost like it was a movie, right? He scores shorthanded. We're down five minutes. Hosa comes out of the box, goes back door and scores. It was like, I remember John Madden was laying out on the PK blocking like Weber shots. Oh my God. Because we scored and then we still had to kill another, I, I believe it was three minutes roughly. Like, don't quote me on the, the time. But starting overtime, we're still killing for three, four minutes and Madden's laying out, bowl and everyone's laying out. It was just like, right when that ended, it was like, we're going to win. Like, we have to now. So it was, that was, that was wild. Like, that was wild. That, that whole sequence. That whole, that, but that was like the perfect example of what I felt of your guys' season that year because it, it always felt like no matter what situation you guys got into, there was still that confidence level that you guys were pulling out the win. 
Like, I don't think there was many games that I watched that year where I was like, oh, this is done. They're, you know, they're not coming back. I always thought, okay, these guys got it. They're going to come back at somehow. Like, was that the same general sense you guys had the entire season too? Yeah. We like realistically there, like we had adversity a little bit after it would have been after the Olympic break. We didn't play very good for a couple of weeks, but I think we got beat like eight, one or something by Columbus in Columbus. And then we came back to Chicago the next night and there was like a bat, like a bed sheet hanging from the Raptors saying start Niemi. I remember and it was like, <laughs> okay. yeah, they were going after he but there was realistically, there was at no point did we ever doubt ourselves. I was hands down, not even close. The most confident team I've ever played on. It, it's like, we just, we knew we were a really good team. We were deep. Uh, and we, we cared deeply for each other too, because we came up a lot of us in the minors and if not in the minors, we were young together and hanging out. And, um, it was just that, that to me is hands down the, the tightest, um, most confident, cocky, fun to watch, fun to play team I ever, I've ever played on personally. I, uh, honestly, during that season, I think it was like October or November, you guys were playing against Calgary and went down five to nothing and had that comeback and Seabrook had won it in overtime and six, five. And I remember just watching that game and just being like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's five, nothing. And I just like had a weird feeling with the way the guys were playing. And I was just like, Goal started happening, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god, they're gonna come back in this!" And then it happened. I was like, "This team's got it. They're gonna, they're gonna fucking do it all." And I know it. And I'm just like, "There's no way of counting them out." Like you can just tell, like you were saying, like the team's cocky and confident. You can just see it with every line and just rolling everybody out there, and everybody was dangerous. And you're just like, "God, what a team to watch that was." What? Yeah, and I, th- I think looking at all of them too, it was one that had for sure the most pressure right like like yeah it was a winner bust um we'd been together for quite a while and even like just like it brought the love of hockey back to chicago you know what i mean and it's it, to me i look back on the situation as so grateful and so happy and i look back in another sense just like it it, it sucks that we didn't all get to come back for the next year just to reap the benefits of everything that the fans put in the management put in and all the, the, the coaching staff and players, it would have been nice to just to play one more season together. Um, and even just to see a banner raising. I mean, I've never seen one banner raised and we've I've got oh, two yeah, cups, right. But to see, just to see it together, the banner get raised with my teammates that we went to war with and, and really helped, uh, you know, bring hockey back obviously Kane and Taze and those guys are way more instrumental than I ever was but as a team I'm saying it would have been nice to just do that together and, and really reap reap the benefits of everything and all the hard work we we did to try to do that for the city I mean I was gonna say like too when you finally brought that cup back to Chicago like how amazing was that like being part of that team that ended that longest like cup drought in the yeah. NHL it was, it was crazy. I remember we shared it with the fans so much too in 2010. Um, just, you know, we, we tried to go to everyone's favorite um, restaurant, everyone's favorite bar, everyone's favorite establishment. They hung out. We really tried to bring it around the city um, for everyone to see. 
and it was just a, it was a traveling circus in the sense that it like everywhere the cup went it was like the place would light up it's an energy i've never seen before um it was crazy like we would walk in and we'd walk into like a sushi restaurant and then all of a sudden the music would start playing and every single person in the sushi restaurant would be up dancing taking pictures and then we'd leave and it would be like just they go back to hanging out you know it was just like crazy crazy energy and yeah, it was wild. It was so much fun. Yeah, I, we're talking about being a circus. My uncle's actually a Chicago police officer, and he was like kind of part of his shift was walking around with you guys. And he would text me, he goes, God, these guys fucking party animals, man. And he's like, I can't keep up with them. Kind of thing. So well, like, yeah, you definitely enjoyed, definitely could tell you guys enjoyed that. The police were awesome, right? And they, they really escorted everyone around, made sure everyone was safe and got from place to place. They, they didn't have an easy job. Like I remember one time we were outside uh, shenanigans, I believe it was called. It's on uh, rush. And I can't remember. And everyone found out the cup there was there and on it's right by uh, the tavern on rush. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There was arguably five, I don't know, five to 10,000 people there, but the whole street was packed. And we couldn't even get to the bus. We had to like pass the cup along a crowd of people and the, and the police were having just to make sure everyone could move and get out. And it was just like a pop-up party, not a party. We we're just trying to get out to go to the bus and, and the police were, you know, they had to really get everyone around town and um, they did an incredible job. It would not have been easy, especially just like random. We had to, you know, a random areas that we would go to. Right. And, so I couldn't imagine how how busy they would have been. Yeah, I mean, it just, I remember one of my buddies, He I think he was working at a restaurant at the time and he, he was like part of like doing like security and he was telling me about how like they had to sneak Sharpie out the back one time. And it was just like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like, no, everybody wants to look at him. Everybody wants to touch him. And it's like, yeah, just go out this way, my guy. Like, we got you. No, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible time though. It was, it was really shared with the fans and, I mean, that was, I don't know. I think that lasted like a week and a half. So. How did, um, so how did like the 2015 cup compare to it? Because it was like, you were away from the team. Then you came back. Um, first yeah. of all, like, were you surprised when you got dealt it back to Chicago or is that something you kind of, you know, thought was happening? I know I was surprised. I mean, I was coming off ACL surgery and, uh, in camp that year, it was only about five months after surgery and I started skating and I wasn't playing good and my hip was acting up and my knee and um, I, I was not ready to play, but I decided to go ahead and try to play. Um, and then I just, I, I was not good at all in Florida. And uh, then they fired Kevin Deneen. And soon after, like, and soon after they moved me out, obviously I wasn't producing and I was making a lot of money. And they had to move on. And, but at the time I still thought they were going to wait for me to get healthy until the next year. Um, I, I, I would have liked that personally, just cause I thought that's what was going to happen. But then when I found out it was Chicago, I was super happy about going back to Chicago, but I was a little pissed at the sense that I thought I was going to be able to play in Florida and, and make work the contract I signed. So uh, when I came back to Chicago, I was also worried at the fact that, I literally had one leg, you know what I mean? Like I was just trying, I clearly couldn't play at the level I was at before uh, and what were they expecting? So 
for, for the minutes I was given that year uh, to defend myself, I mean, I still had a half point a game for, you know, not playing, like playing third, fourth line, not playing much. So I was proud of what I did. I was just, it sucks that I couldn't give any more because I do deep down feel that, you know, I got really sick too during the Minnesota series. Um, and then in the LA series, like I was playing like garbage, right? And I was sick and I wasn't good. And so I, I do feel that if I could have been at a decent level that we could have maybe made the cup that year, you know what I mean? In 2014, I feel like, Oh yeah. I truly feel like if I could have been at the level, well, if I was at the level I was playing at in Florida, when I was at the top of my game, I probably wouldn't have been traded, but if I was at that level, we would have been in the final. I truly believe that. Cause I was, you know, I was playing at such a high level and then a year later I'm playing like, not good at all. So I, I'm not defending how I was playing. Um, but I just, I, I, oh, I sometimes think about that. I'm not, I'm not, I, there's nothing I could have done, but, and then in 2014, 15, that's what happened. I went, I went back, I had to change my diet a lot um, just for what I was eating and the, and the issues I was having with my gut. And then I, I really went to work and I came out in that 14, 15 season playing some of my best hockey and then at Christmas time, uh, I broke my hand. So, uh, I, yeah, we, I broke the third metacarpal, I believe it is, or tarsal. I don't know, right here. So basically my hand, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my hand right here was, this was completely broken half and it was down here. Oh. So they had to, uh, pin my hand back and it, and it was, was that in a game or in practice, you know, I was in the, the winter classic Eric fair took a shot and it broke my hand. Okay. And then I missed about eight weeks, came back at the nine week mark and my, my hand was brutal and I played another like 15 games before playoffs. And I just, yeah, I, I missed time and I was not good in the last 15 games, uh, had a bit of a reduced role. Um, but I, and then I came back in the playoffs and I, I wasn't good at all again in the playoffs. Uh, that's why, but I was just happy other guys were to really pick it up for me. Cause then kind of gave me a chance you know, to get better and get ready, um, for the finals against Tampa Bay. So like, I was no I, pressure situation for you too. Kind of like, it's like, if it doesn't go well for you, you got enough, let's guy up type of situation. So it's like, you can do what you need to do. Yeah. I was like, I was more worried at the fact that I came back to Chicago and I wasn't good. And then I was really good. And then it's like, and then I came back and my hand wasn't great and I wasn't playing great. And then I was like, Oh man, this is going to end bad. Uh, so, but during those, you know, during the month off, uh, I really focused on, and then I, I focused on getting my, I had a osteus pubis too, but making sure that like I was healthy, that if I did get the call that I would be ready to go. And that's what I focused on during that month. And I remember my son was born on June 1st and then, and, or yeah, June 2nd, sorry. And I got a call from Quenville. He's like, you're playing tomorrow. So make sure you get here. So I saw my son get born. I flew out that night. I got to Tampa and I played game one. So it you was, that, it, I was just really happy. I could get back to a good level there in the finals in Tampa Bay and contribute and, and help the team win. So it, um, it definitely um, saved how I think I would have felt about myself uh, after winning. Would you say that uh, one cup was a little bit more special than the other? Like one being like 
ending the drought or like the other one being like vindication for like working so hard and coming back like from injury and yeah. still like putting that effort in and still getting the, the chance to win a championship. Yeah. From 2010, basically well, 2011 to 2015, I had four major surgeries, right? Yeah. I had ACL with the uh, meniscus issue blown out, fractured tibia. Then I had uh, hip double groin and hand. So Jesus. Looking at the 15 one, I'm super happy at uh, the resilience, but to me, there's nothing compares to 2010. And that, that's just my honest answer. Um, like, and, and also I, I was a bigger contributor in 2010, right? I was just, I was a bigger contributor. I mean, do they mean more to me in a sense of winning a Stanley cup? No, but on a personal level, like knowing what I gave to 2010 and, and everything, uh, for sure. It was just, again, like the team was really tight in 2015 too. And we had a really good team. Um, but that 2010 team to me, again, it's just the most special team I've ever been on. And that's, if you want an honest answer, I'll give you oh, that. Yeah. If you don't like Absolutely. my answer, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we kind I'm of not going to apologize, but. Oh that's, yeah. That's I kind of figured 2010 team. would mean a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but the thing is you don't want to take anything away from, um, the other teammates that you won with in 2015, because again, it's insanely special. If I would have never won 2010 and won 2015, it would, I wouldn't think any different. I would think like, wow, this is incredible, you know? Yeah. Um, but the 2010, yeah, just I, it, I increased role. Um, first time in 49 years, guys that I played with in the minors, a lot of still my best friends today. Yeah. It, it was just such a, an incredible experience and both were, but 2010 to me. Just, yeah, absolutely amazing. And, um, I mean, we're just going to kind of fast forward a bit and just like ask you a little bit, like, what are you, what are you up to now? I know we've, we've seen some clips of you on Sportsnet talking shit to BXO, which is probably yeah. one of my favorite things that's going on. <laughs> um, and I know, oh, like I saw, I think I was following like Bickle on Instagram and he was doing the battle of the blades and you were doing it as well. Yeah. I don't think we got that here in America though. So no. like, what, what you been up to? <laughs> yeah. I Bickle got me to do battle of the blades. Uh, I ended up doing it. It was a good fun experience. Um, I'm doing some TV. I do radio three days a week uh, across Canada. I break games down on Mondays for Toronto, Wednesdays for Calgary, and then generally Friday for Toronto as well. So that. And then I do TV once a week, uh, generally on Fridays up here at Sportsnet. And personally, about a year ago, I was going to do independent coach consulting for some kids for my agent to try to help, you know, anywhere from uh, 12 to 14 year olds that he, he has on that are going to play junior. And right around that time, uh, I hired my brother and a friend of mine. He's the head, one of the coaches for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. It's like, uh, the same league as the Chicago steel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we decided we were going to do this independent coach consulting, but for really from there, we decided, Hey, why, why are we going to use other applications? Uh, we let's build our own. Right. And so kind of from that point on, uh, we started to build our own app for athletes, parents, and coaches. Uh, and we've designed this piece of tech and then we had to test the tech and now we're designing around it and we're getting really close to we're in alpha beta stage right now that's a bit of uh to let you know about it it's it's not a feature that would be on the it's not a product that's on the store yet 
but it's getting pretty close and it's a soup. This is for me something I think that's going to completely help and change. First off, it's going to change how um, coaches and parents watch their kids play in youth sport, especially. Um, and it's gonna, it's gonna just help a lot of kids, uh, and coaches get video feedback, something that was never really there. And it's, it's gonna just the whole process and product that we have, I think it's going to be something that is really revolutionary for, for youth sport. And, uh, it's, I know I'm using some big words and craziness, but that's kind of like, I, I, it's crazy just to see it and, uh, meeting with tons of uh, youth organizers and everyone about the product. And again, at some point I can come on the show again and teach all your fans a little bit more about it in depth. I just can't go insanely in depth yet on the tech and everything. But right. if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, if you're a fan, there's going to be a piece for fans in it too. We did the tech piece is designed for fans specifically one piece. Um, and, uh, but if you're a coach, athlete, parent, or fan sign up on the, my website, uh, the clever.ai and the newsletters will keep you up and we'll get you into beta testing. We'll try to get you into beta testing to test the product just so you see what we see. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to for, um, we became a company nine months ago, but, um, for the last year between research and building, uh, this product that's, that's been the majority of my time. Is that something that's going to be available? Um, is it just going to be Canada or are you going to do like, you know, the States oh. too? Or Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be for Canada, the U S uh, obviously our target market is going to be, um, Lethbridge, my hometown, but, uh, Toronto, Calgary, the, if we're going to pick one market, it's Toronto and then Chicago and, and Calgary as well would be the three markets that we're really trying to get in. Um, to show the, the youth coaches um, and parents, especially parents that coach their kids, um, that this product's going to help them. And the biggest reason, again, I wanted to build it is because I grew up, we didn't have much. There's no way I could afford today's game to play. Yeah. So I wanted to build a product that's like affordable, right? You want it to be affordable for everyone. So that was my number one goal in building this whole product is getting out to everyone and giving you know everyone a tool that uh, they can use to to better their play. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, we'll definitely toss up like those website and like our description, social media when we're promoting this episode too, because it sounds like a really awesome thing. And we got friends that are coaches and stuff too, so I, I'm definitely sure they're going to be interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Again, just reach out, and uh, you can reach out to the app or to the to the uh, website, and I'll return the message. There'll be a couple questions uh we'll ask you and again yeah just get get ready and we'll get you into some beta testing and and get you that application first so you can kind of get a head start on it before you know before anyone else it's awesome did you uh did you end up choosing those markets because those are the places you played maybe you yeah. got some get some fans there <laughs> yeah yeah and that's that's the thing it's hard like we want to choose you when when you talk to marketing people and everything it's like choose one market if I was going to be super specific, Chicago, I said, is the first market I want to choose. I want yeah. to go to the youth market in Chicago, show them that this app, this platform is going to help them. So Chicago is my number one choice. Obviously, I have um, Calgary, um, Toronto. I live here. So Toronto makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. And then, and then keying in on the market of who we think we can help. And, you know, we think it's going to help all coaches, but for sure that, you know, that, that, uh, well, really any coach, but you know, any coach that would really like to use video. Awesome. Pretty great. Making the game a little bit more inclusive. It seems like too, which is awesome. That that's exactly what it was. We, you know, trying to bring, uh, the 99% to the 1%, right. Uh, yeah. that little bit of the goal. Um, that's, that is the goal from the, from the beginning is to do that and to try to make everyone included uh, in the community. That's really awesome. Well, been a good time with you here. We got one more question. Then we're gonna do this quick rapid fire yeah. question for you and then we'll let you go. Um, so this one, we ask every guest on the show, um, favorite hockey memory or moment of your career. We always tell you when we talk to you, you know, you and your former teammates, can't pick the cup obviously yeah so um <laughs> yeah so any amount whether it's you playing it something you watched do you have a, a one memory that sticks out well my favorite ever moment uh was my first ever game in the nhl uh my favorite ever moment be, that had nothing to do with the game was bringing the stanley cup i know it's not winning but it's bringing it back to lethbridge and and handing it off to my grandfather oh, nice. uh makes me super emotional still to this day he he's the reason you know i could play him well my dad and mom did everything they could but if it wasn't for them paying for us me and my brothers would never play hockey so they're the ones who did everything so that moment for me is the most special moment uh of my entire career that's awesome that's fantastic um so let's just get some rapid fires going uh what's your most memorable goal that you ever had it doesn't even have to be in the NHL, maybe. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be. Man. It's it's Vancouver, end of game <laughs> two, 2010. And there's also game five in the final. But game two, that that goal, we could have gone down 2 nothing in that series. And um, the building went nuts. Um, hands down, my most memorable. And I don't care. It's more memorable than my first goal I scored when I was six. It was It was amazing. Just the chilling feeling that you get from the the stands going crazy in the United Center. There was like, I still look back on that goal and you still see the Hawk fans. There's this one Hawk fan like grabbing his shirt, <laughs> like screaming as loud as he can. <laughs> you should pull it up and play it on here. Um, he's literally looking at the camera, like, like screaming as loud as he can, like ripping his shirt off. It was like, it, it was madness. It, it really was madhouse. All right. Uh, who was your favorite non-Blackhawk teammate? Oh, there's a lot. Uh, Maybe like a top three then? <laughs> yeah, like Matt Stajan. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, for sure, Matt. Colby Armstrong. And, uh, man, I, I played on a lot of teams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, Matt Stajan, Colby Armstrong, and uh, I was going to say Troy, but I played with him in in Chicago, so I won't say Troy. And he's an asshole. Troy's a fucking <laughs> asshole. Um, who, who am I going to go with? I, I should go with Calgary. I'll go with, like, uh, Sean Monaghan. I got a lot. Okay. Got great, great friends, though. I was going to say, like, I, I, is he not like the Twitter handle that makes fun of him with a boring Sean Monaghan Twitter handle? <laughs> no, he's, it, I could see how that was made, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a funny guy. I, I honestly, I think back, though, there's, 
you know, Philadelphia, there's a lot of great fun teammates, Florida, uh, Brian Campbell too. I know I played with him in, in, uh, Chicago, but I played with him for three years in Florida almost yeah. too. Right. So soupy for sure too. Uh, what's your, uh, what's the favorite line you ever played on? Well, for the little bit, it, I mean, it was for sure Fleischman and, uh, Weiss. We just, that was again, I, I wish that versity would have came to Chicago. Um, <laughs> because that was the best hockey I've ever played, uh, that there's like a stint until I tore my hip, um, probably game 40. I don't know, but our line was on fire, uh, and helped bring like a team that should have never made the playoffs, not saying it was our line. Like that team should have, like, we didn't really, we're, like, we're just thrown together kind of, and we made the playoffs. We won the division and we lost in game seven, double overtime to New Jersey, but I mean, obviously my favorite line mate ever playing with is Patrick Kane. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love, I, I love playing with him. Uh, Q didn't use us together, Like he used us together a lot. It wasn't like, like for a month on end, we had some really good spurts together. Kaner doesn't really need much, but he was my, but that's what I was saying. It wasn't like I played with him a full season, you know, but the, that's why I would say Fleischman and Weiss because we just we right. played together every single game every single minute all you got the chemistry just going the whole yeah. time yeah I know Q used to like switch up the lines like all the time it seemed like oh, yeah it was jambalaya man yeah it's it like you know, <laughs> um say to Hosa oh yeah <laughs> how's the jambalaya <laughs> uh all right last last question from me it's just gonna be like what do you what do you miss most about the NHL just being around the guys it's yeah. it's crazy you grow up around and that's i mean the, the most cliche answer ever but the the in-depth reason for it is these guys are people that had the same goals aspirations and dreams that you had and they're they're really you have so much in common with them that when you leave the game you start to find at times you you miss the people that you have an, an insane amount in common with and I can see that's why guys go back to the game. Um, but you're, you're at the rink every day playing at the highest level with everyone who has the same goal. So I just miss being around them and joking around. And uh, I don't miss the ups and downs of the game. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the guys. Awesome. And then, all right, the last question. And first word that comes to mind when you hear the name Phil Kessel. <laughs> Oh my God. I know it's more than one word. <laughs> Man, he was my roommate. Yeah. He was my roommate in Toronto. He was a funny, funny guy. Um, so many stories. I also played with him in Boston. I think I told this story the other day on radio. Uh, I don't know if the Hawk fans heard it, but John Whitesides told me and Matt Lashoff when I was 19, turning 20 in Boston. I was 20 by then. Um, he's like, Hey, make sure you watch Phil and make sure he doesn't eat like shit. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so Sean Donovan brings me Phil Kessel and Matt Lashoff out to eat seafood that night. So we're like, Oh, Phil can't eat that bad. It's, we're eating seafood. Yeah. So Phil orders food and we were just sitting there and they bring the food. They bring a full deep fried dish of fried, like seafood. Like I'm talking <laughs> like clams were fried. Like 
like uh lobster was fried and then you should have seen sean donovan but like we're all like what the fuck phil he's like "Ah, don't worry about it and then the next day i I got back to the rink and he was in the fat camp because he's riding the bike and uh so he's riding the bike and he's like stinger i shouldn't eat that deep fried (laughs) seafood and i'm like it's okay phil and he's like who told white sides? I forgot exactly. How it was. I'm like, wow, well, I might. Have. He got so angry because I ratted on him for eating like shit to white sides. But <laughs> oh, it was funny. That's fucking great. Oh my God. That's amazing. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And like we said in the beginning, Chicago loves you despite what you, uh, what you might think uh, <laughs> definitely in your corner. Uh, um, I, I apologize again for those last two years, man. Um, anyways. <laughs> hey, there's a cup. There's a cup there. That doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, thanks for all your support, though, guys, and uh, good luck with the podcast. And thank you. Yeah, hey, we'll definitely uh, definitely gotta get you have on uh, again once you uh, launch your launch your site and your app. Of course, yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. All right, thanks, thanks, Chris. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks here, guys. All right, thank you so much again to Chris for Steve for for hopping on with us. Like you said, um, absolute fucking beauty. Um, knew it was going to be a good interview. I did not think it was going to be, be that fucking good. Yeah. I was, I was very excited to start very excited all the way through <laughs> and still jazzed. Yeah, still jazzed. We fucking jazz. We're going to be this jazz up on Sunday when we record. Oh God. As long as the Hawks don't lose again. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. All yes. right. So episode 133, I think I'm going to name this one. I think we're going to call it happy birthday. Featuring okay. Christopher Stieg. That's fine. All right. Sorry to steal your thunder there. It's fine. Unless, did you have another one? No, I didn't have anything. I never have anything. <laughs> I told you that. <laughs> it's always just at, the, at that moment. All so. right. So, uh, again, thank you, Chris, for coming on. Um, make sure to follow us on, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Follow yeah, us. Yeah, he has on, video, uh, by the way. So Yeah, there is video. We forgot to mention that. Fuck. <laughs> should have mentioned that in the beginning go back and watch it on youtube <laughs> <laughs> it's on youtube um yeah you're gonna see the tweet i'm gonna be putting out with that saying no, it's a, there's a video blah, blah, blah. but it's okay it'll be cool we'll have some good instagram stuff then yeah definitely um yes leave a review uh follow the hockey podcast network DraftKings. give them all your money promo code the uh, thpn um go go kentucky derby that'll happen after before we uh recording that so uh let's go ponies um yeah um anything else Tanner? i don't know man let's just all have a good time have a good time <laughs> all right we'll see you on the next one all right love you boys bye the windy city benders podcast subscribe to the show on apple podcast spotify and youtube And follow the boys on socials at WCB Podcast.